Hello everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything related to the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Kelly. I am a drummer turned comedy singer-songwriter and apparently now a podcaster. You're going to hear me chat to many different people, but more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within, arguably, the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every week on scottcowie.com, on Stitcher Radio, and now on iTunes. So please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, let them know what's going on over here. But for now, enjoy the show. Guest this week in the podcast, it is a double header for the very special 30th edition. We have the legendary bass player Jack Bruce from the band Cream. And of course, we have Newton Faulkner. Now, the reason that we've got two guests on this week is because, like I said, it's the 30th episode. And I have also got a co-host with me. She hasn't been on the podcast before. Tanya O'Callaghan, superb bass player, originally from Ireland. Now out here in Los Angeles. Yes, currently based in LA, but all the way from Mullingar, County Westmead, Ireland. <laughs> Born and raised. <laughs> Born and raised. How exciting is the thoughts of listening to what Jack Bruce has got to say about his career? Really, really stoked to hear that one. He's got to have some great stories. He has. For anybody that follows me on Twitter or has got me on Facebook, you'll know that I recorded this interview a couple of weeks ago. Um, so Tanya's going to be hearing this for the very first time and... It's interesting to know that Jack gave some very interesting answers, shall we say, regarding a cream reunion, so you'll be desperate to hear what he's got to say about that. And, of course, we've got Newton Faulkner coming up in a little bit. A fellow dreadhead. A fellow dreadhead. (laughs) Tanya pressurised me to ask Newton about um, about how he does his dreads. Yeah, crochet hooker. (laughs) Yeah, so you can can hear about that as well. But the reason that I'm out here in Los Angeles, I'm doing a lot of recording. I am, of course, with the label FBO Music now. So I'm recording an EP with them. And I'm doing some gigging and we're doing some vodcasts because... Mm, Video Video podcasts. Nice merge of words. Yes. I do believe that's an industry term. (laughs) So again, um, it's very, very exciting because we're travelling about. Tanya and I are co-hosting the new vodcast and we're doing this audio one still. It's all happening at the the one time. So we're going to announce throughout this episode, the different people that we're going to be interviewing. Exciting. It's very exciting because we actually just interviewed somebody there. Legends. An absolute legend. So we're going to tell you who that person is, but we're happy to tell you at this moment in time that the first person that's going to be on the special talk music vodcast is going to be Definity Rocks. Yes, Miss Definity. Absolute killer. Female bass player extraordinaire who has toured with Beyonce and she was with Victor Wooten and I mean the girl is just amazing so it was really exciting to have her on. It's great and we're becoming quite friendly with these people out yeah, here in Los Angeles. We've been hanging out. People are people man. Yeah we've been hanging about with them we've been jamming with them so it's all good so we've got tons of stories for you guys but without further ado we're going to get to the interview now with Mr Jack Bruce. Let's do it. Okay I am back on the Talk Music Podcast with Mr. Jack Bruce. How are you today, Jack? I'm very well, thank you. 
Excellent. Now, I've been listening to the new album, Silver Rails, the last couple of days. I oh, really good. like the song, um, Reach for the Night. Can you tell us a little bit about that track? Yeah, that's... Uh, how to describe that one? <laughs> I'd say it's like a Philip Marlowe kind of look at my life. Kind of uh, film noir version of of, of me. Uh, the words are actually written by Pete Brown on a flight from uh, Germany, and he he just he, uh, emailed me the words, and I just did some work on them and and wrote this little descending musical thing, and that was it. Excellent. Now, on one of the tracks in the album as well, Cindy Blackman, um, she plays well, she plays out of her skin, really, in one of the tracks. Now, had you met Cindy, Cindy before? Santana, we have to call her. Yeah, absolutely. I, of course, she's recently, in the last couple of years, married to the yeah. famous Carlos Santana. Now, did you know Cindy before? Because obviously she's been a big fan of yourself, Jack. I've known uh, Cindy for quite a long time, yeah. Um, I think... I think I must have met her when when she was very young, and she used to run around after Lifetime when I played with that band Lifetime with Tony Williams, and she was a huge fan of that band and especially of Tony's drumming, as we all were. <clears throat> and uh, she used to pester him when she was a wee girl, <laughs> you know, just asking him questions and how do you do this and how do you do that. And uh, she's a fabulous drummer. Yeah, well, we have a band together, and John Nadeski, who's also on uh, quite a lot of the tracks. Uh, we have a band called Spectrum Road, mm-hmm. which is a kind of a free jazz improvisation band. Uh, the starting point being the music of Tony Williams, you know, uh, from that particular time. So we, we played a lot together, you know, all over uh, the States and Europe, Japan. So, you know, we're in in the pocket, if you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and like I said, you can tell it's a thrill for her getting an opportunity to play with yourself. And it's amazing because uh, she was touring in Europe. So I sent her, uh, uh, you know, I sent her the music uh, to learn, to have a listen to at least. And she learned it very hard, but she got the right, I changed my mind what I wanted to do and sent her another one. And she never got those tracks. So she was sight-reading those two tracks that she did. Now, she's one of many people that's obviously a massive fan of yourself, massive fan of Cream, um, and lo- lots of documentaries over the years. There's been many artists and bands expressed how much Cream has been such an influence. Um, is that a bit of an honour for yourself? Do you take great pride on, on the influence that the band have had and, and you've had over the years? Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I never used to think about it. I think about it a bit more now. Because, you know, you, you do. And uh, I keep getting these sort of awards and honours and all that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's all, it's very, very nice to, to know that that band, short-lived as it was, had such an influence. And personally, as a bass player, I, you know, it seemed to have touched a lot of people. And that's uh, it's a good feeling, you know, I have to admit. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, am I right in saying, did you start off playing cello or piano? What came first, Jack? Uh, well, first of all, really, was singing. Uh, I used to sing uh, uh, Robert Burns and all that kind of stuff that my mum my, my taught me, you know. 
So that would be my first instrument. And then, yeah, really, the cello was next. Piano, I was always just... Uh, there was one in the house, and I was always just bashing away on it, you know. <laughs> and so how quickly did you um, start playing bass and, and start getting into bands? Uh, well, I was playing while I was still at school. and uh, got me into a lot of trouble, actually. <laughs> Because I was, uh, you know, I wasn't sticking in at school. I was too busy playing. <laughs> playing professionally as well. as playing at places like the Denison Party and uh, <coughs> La Carno <coughs> and dance bands <coughs> and making uh, making good money, <laughs> which uh, was great, you know, because, you know, money was quite thin in the ground. You know, <laughs> One of the, the bands that really propelled you onto another level, we mentioned them earlier, of course, being Cream. Now, you've got to tell us, and I've been dying to ask you this, um, can you give us your favourite Ginger Baker story? Yeah, that's... Uh, I don't really know if, if there are that many stories about Ginger, um, really, that, that I could repeat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's a bit of a character, as we all know. And... Um, to pick out a particular story would be tricky. It was, it was the uh, the time uh, when we were just starting out, and uh, we were playing two sets in this this gig in Basingstoke, <laughs> and uh, he didn't show up for the second the second uh, set, so we had to do it just Eric and me, and uh, so it, we we sort of pretended to fire him from the band. <laughs> to try and get him to uh, screw the nut, as it were. Because he, uh, he was into the drugs, you know. And he, we, the rule was that he wasn't allowed to take any drugs. Whether or not he stuck to that, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> can't the thing is, I don't know if you've seen the, 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 the film um, recently made about him, Jack. Did you... I haven't seen that, no. I, didn't, I felt I didn't need to see it. And the story of that is that the guy, the director, asked me to take part in it. And I thought, well, I've done so many of those things. I'm not all that keen in, in talking about all that old stuff. And uh, I said, no, I, I, I'll just, uh, you know, I'll pass on this. But he showed up at my door and he said, you've got to see him standing outside the door. He showed me the the bit where Ginger breaks his nose. <laughs> and I felt, I thought, if somebody goes to that length, uh, you know, I've got to, I've got to give him a few minutes. <laughs> so I did. I've actually put in a request um, to interview Ginger, and the person got back to me saying, "Are you sure you want to do this?" <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite, quite hard. I think he just says yes or no or f off or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've very, got that. very interesting interview. I believe. I've, I've, I've got that to look forward to, Jack, without a doubt. I might be calling you back to ask your advice before I actually do that interview if it comes to fruition. Yeah, I think I think he's, he'll probably be all right. I think a lot of that now is a bit of an act, you know. I would have thought so, but listen, it keeps everybody talking about him, and of yeah, course... Yeah, that's why he does it, I guess. Right, okay, and um, there's been one last thing about Cream before we move on. A lot of a lot of talk about the band reforming. Is there any talk of it between you guys? Is has there been you know any offers MD come forward or is it just kind well, of Well, I mean, we were supposed to be doing a reunion this year. Uh another one, you know, but um I'm afraid Mr Baker uh said something to Eric that 
I don't think it's liable to happen. I, certainly not this year. In fact, I don't think it's liable to happen at all now. Oh, that's a shame. But listen, we've got so many, we've got so much footage to look back on, uh, regardless. Oh yeah, and uh, we did the, we did the reunion. You know, I, I thought that was fair enough. <clears throat> you know, one's good. If you start milking it, it gets a bit, uh, a bit. Well, it would be fun though. And what's your memories of playing with Gary Moore um, in the early nineties? Um, what, what was that like? Obviously, you were you were in that band with Ginger. Oh, I loved I loved Gary. You know, he was uh, in many ways he was my favourite guitar player to to work with because he had so much passion. You know, he was a lovely guy, but he was obviously quite tormented as well, which he, he hid very well. Um, and I considered him a, a very close friend. And uh, I miss him a lot. Yeah, he's an unbelievable player, and um, I've I've actually really really enjoyed. Um, obviously, YouTube's a great thing. Been great to yeah. to go back and, and watch you you guys play with with Gary because uh, to be totally honest, I didn't even know that you guys played together up until till recently. Right. Yeah, we played a lot together. Oh well, yeah, since the well, I guess the eighties. Now, is there anybody that you've you've not had a chance to perform with yet, Jack? Obviously, you've played with so many people over the years. Is there, is there anybody that's, um, that sticks out and you think, I'd love to jam or work with them? Because you've worked with pretty much everybody. Well, I think the only person is uh, is Mr. Zimmerman. <laughs> I think Bob Dylan is somebody that I would like to... Uh, you know, I have played with him, but it was just a one-off thing in Barcelona years ago. And... Uh, I just have always admired him very much. I would have, I would have liked to have had more of a chance to play with him. But um, apart from that, uh, you know, I've played with a lot of people. Yeah, you've you've, you've played with so many. T- tell us about the experience working with Ringo Starr. Now, I got a chance to watch one of you in interviews, Jack, and you'd said that you'd learned so much from Ringo, but you didn't get a chance to elaborate. What do you think you learned from him? Well, first of all, that that. Uh, what you are, uh, basically, you're standing on the stage as an entertainer, and you can be as serious as you like about the music, but uh, you can't get all poor-faced about it. It's uh, That's where you are. You're an entertainer, you know, and I learned that from Ringo. You know, he he was, uh, that's what he did, with, especially with those bands. You know, the band I was with with him was a great fun and, and a very good band. Peter Frampton and Gary Brooker. Uh, so, you know, it's a great band. And, uh, yeah, I learned that from him. That was the main thing I learned from him. I also learned that he's uh, a much better drummer than he's given credit for. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad that you've said that, Jack, because there's been so many people that we've interviewed that have said the exact same thing, so it's, it's good to hear that from somebody like yourself. Yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's not a technical drummer in the sense that like Ginger or something like that, but he's he's got a great feel. And, uh, for instance, we used to do I Feel Free with him. And uh, he's about the only person, apart from Ginger, who could play that with a, a really spot-on feel, you know, because it's between two feels. It's a kind of halfway eight and halfway 12. <laughs> it's not something that you can just do that easily, but he could do it, no, no bother. 
Now, once I announced a couple of days ago on the Twitter and the Facebook that you were going to be on, we've got a lot of people writing in and asking questions. One question is from a friend of mine, Gary John Kane. Now, he's asking about the track Sunshine of Your Love. How did the idea for the baseline came about? So can you tell us about the, the track generally and how it came to fruition? Well, yeah, certainly. Um, well, it was, I was working with Pete Brown, uh, trying to come up with some songs. And we had been working in my flat all night, and we hadn't come up with anything. Because we, you know, we were the guys who had to come up with the the material for the albums, mostly. So we were trying to write stuff for the albums, and uh, we hadn't got anything. And then I just suddenly stood up and picked up my double bass and uh, started playing the riff. It just, it just came to me. It wasn't even, I didn't even think about it. It just, it was like it was there, and I just I just played it, you know. And I looked out the window. The sun was coming up, and Pete uh, just wrote, "It's getting near dawn," <laughs> and that was uh, that was the basis of the song. And we, we start we rehearsed it with the guys, but it wasn't quite a song. It was just just that first part. And then Eric came up with uh, the turnaround. We call it the turnaround, and. In in the song, uh, I've been waiting so long. That part he came up with the the music for that, and uh, so so it was a combination of uh, of, of that riff and uh, the the vocals and uh, Eric's turnaround. And there you got it. Great stuff. I'm sure Gary John Kane will be delighted with that answer. He's a, a big fan of yours. I'm going to um, throw out some names at you, Jack, and if you, it's okay just to give your thoughts and opinions and, and these individuals. Um, any any thoughts on the bass player Carol Kay? Uh, yeah, uh, you know she obviously was a, a hugely important bass player in the, in uh, in the Tamla Motown stable, and uh, there's uh, there's all, nobody really. Sometimes people say, "Oh, she played in that track," and "Oh, no, that was James Jamerson." So there's some tracks that you don't really know who played what. Uh, but I think um, she's a very important player, definitely. Brilliant. Did you ever get a chance to play with with, with Stevie Ray Vaughan or get a chance to hear much of Stevie? See him play live? No, I never played with with Stevie. Unfortunately, I would have liked to have, but I never got a chance. Yeah, that, that, that certainly would have been something. Um, yeah. One last thing, Jack, if you could put together, we ask everybody to do this, <laughs> your your ideal band, okay? Um, you can have MD you want, obviously dead or alive within this group. Now, with somebody like yourself, like we said earlier, you played, played with pretty much everybody. But um, just for, for, the, for a bit of a laugh, if you were to put together your, your ideal band, who do you think would be in that group? That's really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it would be a very big band if I was going to have all my favourites. But I think uh, I think still the best band I ever played with was Cream, and uh, I would I would just stick those guys up on the stage, and that would do that would do me. And Cream with Hendrix. Cream with Cream with Hendrix. Well, there nearly was a band with Tony Williams and Jimmy and myself. Uh, that was, we were talking to Jimmy about it. But wow. then uh, he went oh, he went and died. <laughs> so uh, that didn't happen. That would have been a dream band as well, yeah. That would have been amazing, Jack. Now, a million people have obviously claimed to have been there at the time where Cream 
we're cream jammed with Hendrix. Lastly, can you tell us uh, that story? Because there's there's been so much written about it over the years. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually know the truth about it, but nobody nobody seems to accept my version of it. It's so, like you say, there's so many versions. Uh, we were playing in London. Um, one of the art schools, I can't remember which one it was, but um, I was just having a drink before the gig in a pub, and uh, Jimmy came up to me and said that, and Jimmy Hendrix, and obviously I, I was, we were waiting for him to arrive because we'd heard all about him, and he said, can I sit in with the band? And I said, yeah, it's fine with me. But obviously I can't speak for the other two guys. Come over to the gig and we'll sort it out. So we went over to the gig and he did sit in with the band. In fact, he plugged into the bass amp because uh, that was the only other amp that was the only amp that had two inputs. Um, Eric's amp only had one input, you know. So, uh, yeah, that was exactly how it happened. And he blew us all away, of course. That's a dream band indeed, Jack. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today and getting such a great insight in, into your career. It's been great. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, mate. All the best. Cheers. There you have it. Jack Bruce, the legend. What a nice guy, a fellow Scotsman. So there you go, Tanya. What do you think yeah, of that? You're oh, I'm that. just dying to know what Ginger said to Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, you know, you know the ins. I know the I've got the inside <laughs> scoop and I'll be revealing all next week. I'm only joking, I don't know, I haven't got a clue. But nonetheless, um, really, really interesting insight. Great piano player as well as a brilliant singer, but everybody knows him, of course, for his great bass playing. Um, we've got Newton Faulkner coming up in a little bit, but we are happy to tell you at this moment in time, um, just a reminder, we've got a video vodcast podcast video series filming interviews thing going on um, that's going to be exclusive to YouTube and of course the central place that holds these podcasts and vodcasts together is scottcowie.com and you can follow me on Twitter and add me on Facebook and let's advertise some of your mm, stuff right you now. and tweet you and do all that strange Bebo me um, and add me on Facebook. <laughs> I think I'm still a Bebo girl. Yeah, I'm on all that. I'm at Tanya O'Callaghan on Twitter. I'm at T-Sub-Base, Instagram. My site is my name, www.tanyaocallaghan.com, where all my base happenings happen. So, hook it up, make it happen. Now, let's talk about, before we get to the interview with Newton Faulkner, um, I am genuinely a fan of your YouTube series. Ah, Tanya's Gold Blend. Tanya's Gold Blend tells about this. Yeah, it's a really fun kind of side project, I guess you'd call it, that I've been doing on and off for the past maybe two years when I have time when I wasn't on the road or I was at home because I shoot it with some of my best friends who have an amazing production company called Kerboot Productions back home in Dublin. And we shoot, we basically the concept came about because I wanted to merge like musicians of all levels within the industry not talent level but like literally you know the more known names with the not so known names because so many incredible musicians around and it was just a little idea that started up and I mean it's it's just there on YouTube tipping along so far it's been all named Irish artists that have got involved in the UK and then I, my first American one I did was with Glenn Sobel from Alice Cooper's band and Orianti Shredder Chick extraordinaire and you know it's something that I just do if there's 
time in between stuff and it's a it's a fun slow growing project tanya's gold blend it's really cool and everybody that i've spoken to that knows about it is genuinely a big fan so it's like a kind of underground thing that it's building up all the time um, and i've kind of mm. invited myself onto it yeah absolutely we'll so definitely I, be doing some mergers i so like it it's sitting there yeah it's cool um so you can check that out just youtube tanya's gold blend um, and, and check it out because there's a lot of good episodes there. I like the whole vibe of it, so it's so it's cool. So that's how the idea transpired as to how Tanya and I were going to be working together in these different projects on the World Wide Web, doing these podcasts and, of course, this mm -hmm. video series and combining. And we thought, why not merge? Yes, of course, of course yeah. Um, so, Newton Faulkner, how long have you been a fan of Newton? Um, I think I heard Newton Faulkner originally in... Dublin at a gig about God, I'm gonna say six years ago. He was on a festival headline in Ireland, and I remember seeing him, and I really loved his like. He was just standing up there on his own and acoustic guitar, and he had great use of pedals. He had a lot of cool delay stuff going on. I really liked that. And then when his cover of Massive Attack came out, that was just fabulous teardrop, and I was hooked since then. Well. This interview, he's going to be doing some things and performing some things that I believe he's not done in an interview prior Ooh. to this one. It's all very exciting. So let's get to the interview with Newton Faulkner. It's going to be a good one. Okay, I am back on the Talk Music Podcast, the special 30th episode with Mr. Newton Faulkner. How are you, Newton? I'm very well indeed. How about you, man? Good. Now, we were just chatting briefly off air about the fact that um, the first time that I seen you play was in King Tut's in Glasgow, and there was, I think, about 15 people at that point, and recently you've done a tour, and it's you've you've sold out places all up, up and down the country, but do you, do you remember that gig, Newton? I remember that gig very well indeed. It was because I saw it on the list, I saw it kind of creeping up, and I was like, so you're putting me in a, as, a, as a headline act? In a venue that can hold, I mean, what is King Tut's? Is, is it 250, 300? I'd, I'd say it's around about 250, 300, yeah. It's got to be around there. And I was like, I've literally never been within maybe like 60 miles of the venue, like, let alone actually like done any promo in any way. So I remember talking to the guy being like, is this, what's this going to be like? Is, this, is there going to be anyone there? And he was like, probably not. <laughs> But it'll be worth it. And I was like, okay. So I went up and I did the gig to, yeah, was it, it was literally 15 people, if not less. And well, maybe 15 people if six of them will, like, work there. <laughs> well, I, like I said, I, I'd seen you, um, I've seen you three times in total, twice at King Tut's, because the second time it was packed and that was that gig was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that was, like, like, the quickest turnaround in terms of, like, making a, making impact kind of live for me. Because I went there, once did 15 people and then came back and it was sold out. It was like, wow, okay, that, that did really work. Fair enough. And then the, the third time I seen you play, I can't, I, I'm struggling with the, the time frame, but it can't have been long after that. It was Teen the Park, obviously you were on the main stage. I actually just yeah. watched it and of, of course you ended with Bohemian Rhapsody. What, what was that What was that like, having the whole experience of playing Scotland within such a short time, maybe 12, 15 months? It was, it was mental, but it was, like, it was kind of like that across the country in a weird kind of way, because I've been doing, I'm just trying to think, because it was quite, it was quite a gradual process in London, like London made perfect sense, because I was there all the time and I was gigging all the time, so it just slowly kind of laid up. The only little jump was from 
kind of 500, which I'd got used to doing, and I was doing that kind of most nights of the week. And then someone put me on spotting Xavier Rudd. And I'm, Do you know Xavier Rudd, Australian? Yeah, yeah. Guitarist, multitasking guy, really interesting. Um, put me on supporting him. Uh, and that was Shepherd's Bush. So that was from 500 to kind of 3,000. And then after that, it calmed down. It kind of started leveling out. And we did the, did the roundhouse last time. Yeah, it's, which, it's brilliant. Uh, I, haven't, yeah, I love that video. Yeah, having watched a lot of the YouTube clips, it's been so good to see the, the progression and, and how much everything that you're doing is catching on. It's great. Now, for, for anybody that, that might not be too familiar, can you explain the Studio Zoo idea, the concept of, of it in general? Yeah, quite. it was either the best idea or the, or the weirdest or the worst. I have no idea yet. Because no one can really work out kind of what happened. Because it started out, the idea started out, because this is, I'm in the studio now. And um, what we're going to do is have a webcam the same way you do at a radio station, so it's like a frame every few seconds and it's kind of stoppy and starts again. Usually doesn't have audio because you've got the audio on the radio, so I thought, yeah, that'd be, that'd be fun. People can just see me chipping away at stuff. And then we took the idea to, to Sony and I was like, because my manager even said, like, what about? And it was her idea. She was like, what about audio? Can we, can we hear you doing takes? And I was like, I mean, I'd be fine with that, but I doubt the label will. I bet the label will be like, no, because then you're just giving away every idea you have. Right. And that's what I thought they'd say. Um, and then we took, went to them. They were like, no, you, it needs audio. We definitely will have audio. We'll have, can we have more cameras? And then we ended up with four cameras in my house for five weeks. I mean, the whole album was made in, I think, 11, which is mental for an album these days because that's all the writing, all the recording. Yeah, we kind of wrote it in six weeks, recorded it in five. So you um, you uh, were the first ever person to do that, Newton. There was yeah. nobody else that's done it before. And it's fair to say that you were also the first ever person to record with the um, the occasional distraction of sharks. Yeah, no, that's my project. Yeah, I stole a projector off. What was that? It was about four tours ago. We yeah. had loads of projectors. And at the end of the tour, I was like, Stuck at home and it's yeah, it's amazing. Great stuff. Yeah, it's like a it's like a live fish tank screensaver. I think it's from like San Diego Sea Parks or something. Yeah, I remember reading you were doing a take and a, a shark was in your peripheral vision. I thought that was that was quite good. That must without <laughs> doubt that's got to be a first too. Now, if it's okay from the album, one of the track that really stands out to me, that I think it's great, yeah. is the, the the song "Losing Ground." Can you tell us yeah. how that came about? And of course, you've been kind enough to bring your guitar with you today, and, and maybe even give us a play of the song. Album as it was when when you say that the old album was was done at once for you, mm. 
were, were you being filmed on the net kind of writing the album too or did you have the songs no, prior no, to the that? the writing was done well the, the, the label said that they needed they wanted to start recording and they wanted to move all the cameras into my house on, on this date which was in about it was in five weeks time from when I was what? and I was like that is impossible you do realise that anyway like even if nothing was happening in that space of time Writing an entire album in that time is like that's a pretty like seriously tall order. And the other thing I hadn't looked at was my um, my diary. I had four like little tours. All right. I was in like six different countries, so I had to write. I wrote the stuff. I wrote the whole album just on the road. All the guitar parts I wrote in Australia, and then we went all around Europe. And in Europe, I was, it was me, me and my brother. We're just kind of trying to structure them into songs and writing all the lyrics. And what we did is we built the studio every day. So normally on tour, you get up at about, you get up in time for lunch. And you get up and you have lunch and then you're up all night. And that was kind of the way things work. But on, on that tour, we just didn't sleep, got up at like eight, nine, built a studio and just went straight to work every day. Um, and losing ground was because I, I need to go back to all the original files because they'll have a location on them. I think it was somewhere in Germany. I think it was somewhere in Germany. It was in Germany, and it was in like a like the venue, the dressing room for the venue. I think was a school. So I was like, we were sitting in like a classroom with tiny chairs. <laughs> I mean, we built we built studios everywhere. We were in like laundry rooms. With like microphones sitting on top of like old beds, it's like just really, really low rent, weird shit going on. It was cool. I've got this weird vision of you sitting in a, a really, yeah, all these small chairs in a little kind of classroom writing these brilliant, brilliant songs. And that's quite, that's quite an image indeed. That that should have been the album cover, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think what the weirdest one was. The laundry room was pretty strange. And another one, we were just in, like a plane. I, th I think it must have been used for like mafia interrogations. Maybe we might have actually been in Italy, you know. Um, but it was um, like a grey concrete box with one swinging light bulb just dangling. That so was like, it was like, what? What is this possibly used for? <laughs> so we moved stuff in there. We built a studio there, and yeah, it was just constantly. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty relentless. Really fun. That sounds great. That sounds really cool. Now, of course, you're known for, for doing so many shows and putting on great live performances just yourself on stage with the acoustic guitar. But yeah. I, have, I have heard you saying in the past that you'd quite like um, to, to have a band. Is there any thoughts on that for, for the future? Because at the moment, you've got tons of pedals, you've got a bass drum, but is there, is, there any, uh, is there any plans to get other people on stage with you? Well, at the moment, I am. We're, we're playing as a, as a four-piece. Um, so we're... Yeah, what have I got? So I've, I've got my brother and Sam Brooks, who's an amazing artist in his own right, but also did a lot of BVs on Zoo. We wrote Plastic Hearts together we've got. Um, so there's me, there's the three of us doing, I think, so my brother's on BVs. Sam Brooks is doing quite a lot. He plays a bit of floor tom, a bit of bass, and he played second guitar on another track. And then I've got cellist. Um, and she plays a few other things as well. On the tour, she played... Asian zither, which is the weird instrument that's on Plastic Hearts. It's also on Longshot as well, we haven't before. And Glockenspiel, and, and again, she's doing BBs, so we've got four-part harmonies. So we have kind of stepped it up. It's a strange time to do it, because 
Shigezu is by far the kind of smallest sounding record I've made in terms of like arrangements, but it's ended up with the biggest live sound. I just tend to get that backwards every time. Somehow. <laughs> yeah, because I remember you saying that you you felt that you've been maybe criticised a little bit for the albums in the past being too polished, but you wanted something a little more. Rough. Yeah, I mean that was but that was a, that was a definite decision. That was because I was under pressure to try and get on the radio. And the only things getting on the radio were quite polished, so. It was one of those kind of strange little balancing acts. But Live, I've, live is, is definitely my, my favourite bit. I mean, I'm getting into studio land more and more. I'm actually kind of... I started doing music for actually other people and other things. I'm doing the music for a computer game at the moment, which is really fun. Oh, wow. Can you can you see what it is at this point? Um, I don't know what it's going to be called. It's just got a working title, but I'm in the, like the developmental stage. Um, but that's... strange thing about that is I've done... I've done the music for two trailers, and I haven't touched a guitar yet. Really? Yeah. Just haven't. Just quite. It just amuses me. I'm kind of going to see how long I can keep it up. Right. <laughs> so talking of playing live and talking about having now a four-piece, um, one thing that we ask pretty much every guest nowadays is, who would be in your ideal fantasy band if you could pick anybody around you, um, dead or alive, to be in this band? Who would it be now? We they assume being dead or alive. They can be dead or alive, and of course, I'm assuming that you're playing guitar and singing, but you can do whatever you want in the band, Newton. Well, I'm just trying to think. This, 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 listen, this question tends to take the longest, so don't worry yeah, about it at all. Yeah, it's a serious question. Let's, let's think about this for a second. Who do we want to drop? Let's start with, let's start with the rhythm section. Maybe Questlove. He just, he's so nice. I imagine looking over your shoulders and looking at Questlove just... Being really solid. It's just that's there's something profoundly reassuring about that. So let's get him in. Bass wise. It's just weird because you want a lot of my favourite players are really like two out there to like work together. So what my brain wants to do is like Les Claypool. Right. But then I don't know what space that leaves. <laughs> for, for me, but I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> um it was good. Maybe the vocoder guy from Chromio. Should we get him in? Yeah. I, I think he'd get on well with letters. Mm-hmm. Like just, just weird vocoder. Like heavy metal, weird funk. Questlove would give it like a slightly modern edge, which I think we need. Um, that's, that's pretty good. It's pretty fun so far. Or maybe like some serious BBs. Maybe go like old school soul. So have like, can you read the Franklin? It's funny. Maybe Elvis Redding, just pile them all up. Yeah, it's, it's funny you should say this, because everybody, ten in the last three or four weeks, people have been picking like three backing vocalists. James Brown's been a predominant feature, and a couple of people's backing vocalists, which is pretty cool. Yeah, because to start out, he was actually quite smooth sounding. He did some kind of quite... slightly more kind of Frank Sinatra stuff, really early. Um, but it just wasn't the kind of screaming... That was kind of quite a late development. Um, but I'm just trying to think, who else we There are so many amazing singers around. And there's loads of, like, there's a bit of massive influx of crazy acoustic players as well. There's loads of them. But the problem is that with the whole style, is it's quite, it's about trying to make as many bits of a song work as possible. So it's the kind of same, it's the same principle as beatboxing. So you've got one instrument and you're trying to do as much with it as possible. So it's weird, you kind of, it's quite hard to think who else you would bring in. 
And, and so far, you are you are you singing in the band? Are you playing guitar? Have we decided that yet? I don't. I, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Well, I'm I, I, to, like, to like front man. I never get to like properly front man. Oh, this might be a good. This might be a, a, a new direction then. You without a guitar yeah. out front singing. Maybe not. Like, shoot. No, no, I need a guitar. But maybe electric. Let's go electric. Excellent. I'm, 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 I'm liking the sound of this band, Newton. That'd be good. But I might do a bit of a bit of Freddie Mercury, Mike Paul structure. <laughs> I've never done it, and it looks kind of fun. Well, listen, we can look forward to seeing this band in action in 2015, <laughs> without without a doubt. Now, what was it, what was it like being on Mastermind? Did you enjoy it? Oh God, it was terrifying. That was so scary. That was that was the scariest thing I've ever done by miles. Was it not a little bit weird? You're on Mastermind and you find out that Claire Grogan is on as well. She was in the same episode. Yeah, she was really sweet. We travelled on the train there and back as well. Oh, did you? Right. No, not really well. And got really well with like Quentin Lake's wife as well. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. Being being a mastermind, that's one. That's one. That's, that's, that's like a. It's a weird thing to have ticked off of a list that I never made. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're going to get on to a great reaction over the past twenty four hours um, on Facebook and Twitter. Um, people um, wanting to ask you tons of different questions. Jez Thompson on Facebook is asking. Um, did Newton expect the the song Dream Catch Me to have the commercial success that, that it has is, is had? Um, did you anticipate that, Newton? I, I didn't in the slightest. I don't know if other people did. I felt like it took everyone by surprise. I think that's a relatively safe assumption. It was, yeah, it was... I don't think anyone saw it coming, because the album was made... The first album was made with, like, only five other people. It wasn't, like, a major label project. It was a small imprint. So no one really knew what I was doing. And then we put it out, and obviously it, it did what it did, and then suddenly everyone was like, that was my idea. <laughs> Death, my idea, that whole thing. I'm the, I'm the ending. Um, so yeah, it was hilarious. Ryan Tyler on Facebook has said, uh, Newton, are you any good behind a drum kit with the percussive style that you play? Um, are you any good on the kit generally? That's a very good point. Let's find out. <laughs> Why not? Who do you think? Trying to think where I'm going to put you. Newton is going to play drums for us, I think. This is very impromptu indeed. Very cool. Why not? Let's go. I'm just trying to think where it's not going to destroy you. Okay, hang on. If I put you there, can you see it? Yep. We're good to go. That's pretty damn good, Ryan. I, th I think your your question is is answered. <laughs> Thanks for that, Newton. We're we're getting all sorts here. We're getting you playing guitar. We're getting you playing drums. It's all good. Appreciate that you're giving us a bit of drumming there, Newton. Superb. Now uh, jumping back and forth here. Um, another question from from a Facebook Tanya, who's helping his co-host with the podcast these days. She says, Newton, what's your pedal setup like? Um, and how do you do your dreads? We'll get on to the dreads part later on. What's your um, what's, what's your um, guitar pedal setup? My guitar pedal setup is actually really simple. It's only I don't think how many things it is now. It's distortion, um, a tuner, which is purely functional, uh, an octave pedal that does two octaves above and two octaves below. And I think that's actually it. Yeah, that's it. 
no, no loophole. I don't, I don't loop. I can do other things. Um, but yeah, my my guitar. But that that's the stuff that I have on stage. I think when it when it gets away from me, it gets more complicated. It goes through like valves. Goes through valve preamps and then goes to the desk and there's lots of stuff on the desk and I've been working with the same sound guy for a really long time so he's kind of tweaking things. So I think yeah I think stuff that like if I was in a band I would have to control on stage because it's generally me on my own. I think he's kind of doing things that I would be doing because we've been working together for like t- I think ten years. Now. So almost every time I've done it, I mean at the very beginning it was wrapped around like telephone wire. This is when I was 14, so they used it, and then sprayed with weird chemicals. Um, and then it was wrapped in tin foil, sprayed with weird chemicals. Then I got bored of the weird chemicals place. Is there any way to do it without the weird chemicals? Uh, and then we started tying it through its, through its own roots. So it started kind of, as it grows out, you grow it in a knot. It's really lengthy, but it is, it's really neat, which I quite like. And they are like, they're pretty crazy long, that's cool. Thanks for thanks for that, Newton. A lot of people were asking about that for for some reason. Now, Leona it's King. Thing that people really seem to latch onto. <laughs> Leona King on a Facebook page says, "Hey Scott, love the podcast. Listen every week. Can you please ask Newton if there is anyone he could collaborate with? Who would it be and why?" Uh, Leona's recommendation would be Laura Marlin. Um, I don't know. We might have we might have covered this in the ideal bands, but anybody you'd like to collaborate with that you haven't had a chance to so far. I said I made a lot of friends over the weekend because I was I was at Glastonbury. Obviously, that's the I should probably take this off. Um, I'm trying to think who I met down there. Do you remember? Do you remember Mr. Hudson in the library? Yes. I had a long chat with the girl that uh, Joy, who played um, like steel drum, did BVs. I think we might do that. That might be really fun. Excellent. I've talked to the guys in Rudimental Mantle as well. Yeah, there's a lot of, it's an endless world of possibilities. But yeah, a lot of money would be cool. I'd quite like to do something completely out of my own genre. Mm-hmm. Actually, I've done, I've been doing some strange technological things with my guitar, which I think might make the playing style slightly more kind of sonically relevant. I'm trying to be really careful with the way I work this. Um, which might make it, might make it really good to play for Almost to play for someone really urban because I can make, actually take what I do without changing the way I play, and make it sound really different, which could work really well for that. I mean, I've been a big like CeeLo Green fan since way, way, way back, way before crazy stuff, or kind of back in the Soul Machine days. Excellent. So, a lot of potential, well, a lot of possibilities there with the, the people that you met at the weekend. Absolutely. Um, Murdoch Mitchell on Twitter um, asks, "Tell us what inspires your songwriting." Um, your songwriting process, what comes first, and, uh, and just in general? I don't have a set process. I tend to really like hop around because I think I think if there is like a something, if there's just a way that you write and it's the same every time, I think you're going to end up kind of going around the same ground quite a lot. So I try and mix it up. Try and mix it up all the time. Obviously, I've got. I'm always coming up with guitar parts. I'm always messing around and finding like little fun things and scooping around. And then recently, I've been I've been thinking almost purely rhythmically. So I, I sing a lot of things into my phone. I was tucked in the corner of the tube last night, going kind of, sorry, 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 um, and kind of building things up that way. And 
and also I'm, I've got so quite a lot of stuff out. I'm kind of I've, I've produced the last album, and I might be producing something for someone else as well. So that's that's almost like another way of writing is to start from the kind of production end, to kind of find some cool sounds and work backwards from there. Uh, and then there's stuff when you come up with just like one line. Uh, my brother's really good at just interesting song concepts. Um, what we've done a few times recently is he's just said like, just like a phrase, and then I've gone cool and just gone, just like come up with a thing. I was lost. Actually, no, I shouldn't say it's not written yet. So I'll take it. Bad. Uh, so that's that's quite a nice way of doing things. And then sometimes I write like big chunks of lyrics and then try and fit them in. Sometimes I write entire songs. This is that this is what really annoys my brother actually. Is when I write entire songs that have no words. But have really good melodies. Like that the bulls got to be skiddly but to whip 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 whip. And then the challenge is making words fit that, which is a horrible, <laughs> horrible challenge. So I'm trying to not do that so much these days. So there's no set process. That's really interesting, of course, with the, the diversity in your, your music, I suppose, that that's quite obvious that there's there's no set process here. That's cool. I'm going to throw out some, some names of musicians for you, Newton, and just give us your okay. thoughts and opinions of them, if, if that's cool. Um, okay. Tommy Emanuel. Amazing. Yeah, he's a spectacular player. He's probably the only person I haven't met in my field of um, yeah, weird guitar lands. I think I know everyone else. Cool. Yeah, he's, he really is very, very entertaining. You can tell you can tell Newton that he's having the time of his life when he's playing live, eh? No, he he loves it. John Gom. Oh, John Gom's awesome. Again, I why are you mentioning the two guys I haven't met? What are you trying to do? Have you not met no. John yet? No. No, but everyone I know knows him. What? I, I think I, I've been in the same place once and I did meet him very, very briefly. But he's one of the guys because he's really good friends with a lot of my really good friends, but we're just never in the same place at the same time. Let's get around. I'll have an almighty gem. I had one of those. I had um, Mike Dawes and uh, Pietri as well. He's an amazing fan. And uh, Ryan King was around as well. So there's loads of us. That sounds great. We've had John on the podcast, so I'll let him know that you're interested in him. Yeah, we need, to, we need a gem. He's in London. I think he's in London, isn't he? Um, I'm not too well. He's, le- he's based in Leeds. I don't know if he's living there at the yeah, moment. That's why we have him. Um, but- that's why we have him across Park. We'll, we'll, we'll make it happen, and, I, and I'll, I'll take it as my idea. I don't know if you can have that one. <laughs> um, Khaki King. Oh, Khaki King. Yeah, she's really cool. Yeah, because yeah, I got 10 billion texts after August Rush came out. Hey, why didn't you tell anyone you did the music for this? I didn't. It's Khaki King. Because um, it's, yeah, it's just that. Kind of but there are, it's not something that I've ever claimed ownership over. Because... It's really easy to find out there are other players. It's weird because when that was how I first got in touch with Thomas Lee was when because I just mentioned him in, in every interview. Because I was like, well, it's Eric Rhodes, Thomas Lee. Those are my kind of Eric Rhodes, Thomas Lee, Nick Harper are kind of my guitar influences. And he said that it just did him like he just really appreciated the fact that I was being open about it. Because a lot of people, uh, there were. There were players I was aware of who were playing in the style. And if people asked, like, does anyone else do this? Were saying no. Which is so cheeky. Yeah. But so I can see the thought process. Because it's like, if you don't think anyone else is doing this, 
I'm not going to tell you there is. It's going to just be my thing, just for your brain. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. Another one, um, John Martin. You a fan of John Martin's work? Oh, absolute legends. No, he's another another huge influence. I'm definitely on my writing style. Actually, I did a version of May Never. Oh, I was actually going to say that I would love to hear you cover that. I didn't know you'd do a version. I'll need to try. I did a version of it. Um, I've only played it once. It was on. It was on a Channel Four documentary thing. Well, listen. When you're next up in Scotland, uh, if there's some, if you hear someone shouting that out at the top of their voice, the chances are it'll be me. Probably be it. I will get you rejected <laughs> by security. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Um, one last thing I was going to ask you: the track, um, the track UFO, um, obviously yeah. an oldie. How how did that come about? Because I'm interested in, in seeing the, the writing process of that because it's a very it's a very witty song as well. Oh, it was kind of that. Um, it's that cyclic thing that. You know when the news and like there's lo- suddenly loads of TV programs about a subject, and there was just a massive like UFO spike. It must have been maybe eight years ago now, seven. Um, and there was yeah, there's just loads of TV programs, loads of YouTube stuff. It just kind of kicked off with it, and we just thought there's no there's no songs about aliens. And I had the guitar part, and the melody was kind of built into the guitar part. The and then, my, yeah, it was, my, it was my brother just went, you went for but do you love to hello? And then just went off on with the rest of the song. I mean, it was kind of, I think my parents also saw something really weird. They saw, like, I think six, like, vert, uh, it's a no, horizontal lights all rise up into the sky and disappear at the same time. But that, again, was all in the same space of time. That's cool. And lastly, we'll... What, um, what's the plans for the future then, Newton? Um, is, are you going to, regarding the last album, are you going to do something similar again? Are you going to do something completely different? Any any thoughts I, on it? I think it's time for something completely different. So I think I, that was like such a big, that was a huge deal for me to do that album, especially the way I did it as well. Because it was what people, it was what the hardcore fans wanted from the very beginning, was me to do something that was just completely acoustic, with very little else on it, very like, Kind of just, just true to what to what I do. I mean, there are other sides to what I do as well. So, but now, now I feel I've kind of ticked that box and I've done something that is very kind of for the for the purists. They've got that now, and now I've kind of I think earned a kind of sonic license that I'm definitely going to take advantage of. Great stuff. Now, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on our 30th episode with, uh, yeah. jointly with Jack Bruce. What are your, what are your thoughts on Jack Bruce, your fan? Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to think where I I think I've seen him twice. I think I saw him at a festival. I think I've well, seen him at Barney Scott's as well. He's a good Yeah, he's a legend. A very, very talented guy, a brilliant piano player and mouth organ player, even though obviously he's commonly known as a, a great yeah. singer and bass player. He's, he's fantastic in just about every instrument. It's, it's actually quite depressing for people like me, but um, great nonetheless. And, um, but to be serious, Newton, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today and uh, best of luck with future tours and albums. So there you go, Mr Newton Faulkner. What do you think, Tanya? Amazing, amazing as always and very humble and lovely. Andy was playing the drums. He was indeed. That was so cool. <laughs> Can you believe that? The random thing that happened, the random things that happened in these interviews, the, the guests, the, when they went to play drums, just mm. let them play the drums. Mm. 
So we mentioned earlier that we've been out here in Los Angeles filming the video series of the podcast, which is exclusive to YouTube. Now, um, depending on what you're listening to this, we don't know how many vodcasts are going to be up and available to you at scottcowie.com. So just go on that site and have a check, because uh, that is the central place that holds the audio podcasts and, of course, the new vodcasts together. We mentioned earlier we were talking to Definity Rocks, who's slammed it on stage with Beyonce as well as playing with <laughs> Victor Wooten. Lady. She's really cool. And you will have seen this, everyone that follows me on Twitter and it's got me on Facebook. And if you don't, make it happen. We interviewed Dave Lombardo from Slayer. Yes, Slayer. <laughs> How cool was that? That was really cool. That was like teenage stuff, you know. Slayer, Lombardo, hearing him play that close to us was phenomenal. And a lovely guy. And we got the inside scoop of what it was like to play Metallica yeah, with Metallica at that time. Joey Jordison and him slamming it at download. And uh, we played these drum kit. He asked us to hang around. Well, he played the drum kit. We kind of just... We watched that. <laughs> when he went out of the room, I had a couple of drums. And we also... He asked us to hang about and watch his band rehearse. He's in a great three-piece band at the moment. Uh, yeah, they sound absolutely brilliant. <laughs> So that was great, and next week we're going to tell you about a couple of the other video interviews that we're currently filming out here in Los Angeles, and we're going to announce to you right now, on the podcast next week, same place, same time, up on Thursday, Antoine Dufour. Wowza. Great acoustic player, you're a fan, right? Absolutely, how could you not be? Uh, he's very, he's very, very humble, and he's 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 absolutely incredible. So you do not want to miss that. ScottKiwi.com for all your podcasts and vodcast needs. Tanya, anything you want to promote? Nope, just check me out on my own site www.tanyaocallahan.com. Go to scottcowie.com first, though, and make sure you uh, follow Scots me. Scotsman, are you fighting the Irish lady here? Yes, if you notice that, um, it's, it's been quite funny out here in Los Angeles <laughs> because a lot of people can't understand the word I'm saying, or so me. it's been interesting to carry around an Irish interpreter um, <laughs> because it's just made matters all the more confusing. So as you watch these this video series, you'll watch a bunch of... Um, Famous musicians sweating buckets trying to understand a word that we're trying to put across to them. So it's very entertaining nonetheless. Check out the podcast next week. I will see you guys soon.